0: Welcome to EQ Above IQ, Parenting with Emotional Intelligence and Healing the Inner Child. My name is Trina Casey and I'm your host. Thank you for joining me. And today I have the pleasure of having Joshua Friedman on EQ Above IQ. And he is one of the pioneers in emotional intelligence. He co-founded and leads the world's first largest network dedicated to emotional intelligence. Josh is the author of five books, including the international bestseller, At the Heart of Leadership, and one of his books focuses specifically on today's topic, wholehearted parenting. He co-created nine different psychometric tests measuring individual and organizational EQ and works with businesses and agencies from the UN to FedEx to Qatar Airlines on creating value with emotions. He's also the co-creator of the first largest EQ program, Pop-Up Festival, in partnership with UNICEF World Children's Day, which brings emotional intelligence to children and their adults in their lives in over 200 countries and territories. Welcome Joshua Freeman to EQ Above IQ, Parenting with Emotional Intelligence in Healing the Inner Child. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yes, I am such a huge fan of your organization. I think it was almost 15 years ago that I purchased my little emotional intelligence flip ring binder to figure out what the hell was wrong with
1: me. No, (laughs) I was just drinking coffee when you said that, that was almost messy.
0: (laughs) No, it just was something, you know, I was like, what is this EQ thing? I'm really fascinated and it. It just resonated with me so much. So why don't you tell my audience about Six Seconds and how did that come to be? And why Six Seconds? Why that name? Mm.
1: (laughs) <laughs> well, we had a funny moment twenty five years ago, where we're sitting around the table. Annabelle Jensen is the president of Six Seconds. We're sitting around her kitchen table trying to come up with names, and I was advocating for platypus for a while because they're, they're a really creative, lovely, unusual animal that's very community oriented. Yes. I think it's probably a good thing that I did not. Uh, <laughs> I did not prevail. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Six
0: seconds is much better than flat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Annabelle is a huge reader of research and we sometimes call her Annabelle research says Jensen and we're in this conversation and we're just talking about what we want to do and our vision. And at some point she says, you know, what? I, I read this research that said when somebody is listening with compassion. It takes about six seconds for somebody to feel that. And we're like, great. That's so interesting. And we kept going and talking, talking. an hour later, we still don't have a name. And she says, you know, I read some research that says it takes around six seconds for somebody when they decide that they're going to manage their anger, it takes about six seconds for them to transition out of that anger. And, um, we had been talking with Candace Pert, the neurobiologist who, uh, discovered the opiate receptors in the brain. She uh, had been the chief of brain science at the National Institutes of Health and amazing work on the role of emotion in in our physiology. And Candice told us that emotions last in our brains and bodies for about six seconds, four to seven seconds. And so we put those things together and we said, wow, Like all of this emotional communication is happening and we have these little six-second windows of opportunity to connect, to understand, to build compassion to manage anger so it takes six seconds to connect with ourselves and transform what's happening and if we can change what's happening inside we can change the world and that's why we're called six seconds
0: oh that's a beautiful story and and i have tested that theory many times i'll be honest it takes me about 10 with my son but <laughs> I count. I actually started doing the counting to five backwards when he was very young. And I found that to be very effective to this day. He's almost 11. So mm-hmm. counting five, four, three. Okay, mom. That usually works.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so one of the reasons the six second pause works mm. is particularly when you are engaging your brain in sort of an unusual way, is it, it's like actively re-engaging your cortical brain, the kind of wrinkly outside thinking part of your brain. I don't, I don't actually like calling it the thinking part because we think with our emotions too. Right. right. (laughs) That wrinkly part of the brain, it does things like math and numbers. And, and so like, if you can think about, you know, if you can count to six in, in French, for me, would be a little bit of a challenge these days. You can think of six recipes you love to cook. You can think of six places in the, travel, in the world you might like to travel. That re-engages your cortical brain and creates that, slows down that reaction. And that's the six second pause that lets us go, okay, wait a minute. Let me get my IQ and EQ working together here, which is really our goal. Well,
0: which seems to be a really big challenge nowadays.
1: With,
0: Whoa. Whoa. yes, Man, with that mess we just got out of office, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say mm. it was a hot mess. Mm. I don't think he ever heard of six seconds. I don't think he ever heard of anything like that, but
1: I can't um, tell you, Gina, how many people who have who've interviewed me have said Could you please go do this work with politicians? (laughs) Exactly.
0: Exactly. And they need it the most because they're the ones making all the decisions, not just in America, but globally. A lot of my podcasts, you know, one of the things I talk about is how emotional intelligence could affect generational trauma, Mm. how it can affect how we see each other on a daily basis, how we interact with our children, and how we heal ourselves, you know, because I think that. Most of us didn't get the benefit of that six seconds throughout history, growing up with what we have, you know, that I can reflect Mm -hmm. on my childhood and it was like, I had to do it in one second if I Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't, it was held pay. But since I had my son, I've been dedicated to break generational curses and I really want to change the world through that
1: process. There's a big topic here around intersectionality and emotion Mm -hmm. and racist, sexist, lots of ist world. As a white man, it's been damn hard for me to make friends with my feelings and find space for my own feelings. But I have way more, I mean, that's a form of white privilege, right? Is that I, I have more freedom. I don't know, I have more space. I have more, people are less quick to judge me when I express my feelings. And it's a complicated topic, but I think there's an important piece as we think about across generations.
0: Well, I absolutely think it's a conversation that we need to start having. We, have, we should start having sooner with our children. You know, I've had conversations explaining that my son's, my son's father is Caucasian and he has very hard time understanding his privilege what that means differently. And my son presents as someone that looks more like me and it's really hard for him to get that piece that he has more space, as you say. I talked about in one of my episodes, the connection of narcissism with colonialism. Mm. Because if you reflect on colonialists, they went out into the world, just claimed everything as if it was theirs didn't matter if, if it's not... their God given destiny. Exactly, exactly. And there is an extreme amount of narcissism in that thought process. <laughs> and that... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it's mine. How, can, how dare you tell me I can't have it? You're in my way. And I think that's just been on repeat throughout time. It's just been on repeat until we actually address that historical piece. Of what was going on cognitively with these people mm-hmm. who
1: thought well, they could go out. If we go even further back, yeah. I mean, we have a very deep history of might is right. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is most of human societies developed in, in scarcity. And deep in our architecture. And this is really important for us as parents, as Humans, deep in our architecture, is we like and trust people who are in our group more easily than people who aren't. And one of our fundamental cognitive biases is affinity bias. You know, and somebody who looks like us or sounds like us, we're more likely to trust them. And, you know, we say to kids, like with an 11 year old, I'm sure he's starting to face this like, am I in the group? Am I out of the group? And a lot of parents will say like, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. Oh, my goodness, it's it's a big deal. It's survival everything. Of, of the speed. It's everything. Yeah. Am I in or not? And that's deep. Yeah. And because our, I think because
0: historically we have really dug into that group mentality, that herd mentality mm-hmm. to, to create kingdoms and the feudal european system and and things like that if you didn't find your tribe you wouldn't survive Mm. if you did survive you were going to be the man on the top of the mountain all by himself, which probably was happier than anybody else telling the truth but (laughs) now that i reflect you know if we didn't have that feeling of feeling other or ostracized I think with COVID right now, we really see how, though the separation is difficult, I think, on children the most, because especially children my son age, from what she said, kind of like trying to figure out who they are based on their peers. Now it's based on YouTube videos, but <laughs> yeah, you got that face that I got. I can't stand YouTube. So. <laughs>
1: Hey, I became a YouTuber during the pandemic. So I
0: know, I know. I <laughs> I, I watched some of your your posts, and I was like, okay, uh, but it was it's been a difficult transition for me to get there. I have a YouTube channel, but yeah, I, I have very yeah. strong feelings. YouTube is gonna hate me if they ever listen to my podcast. By the way, so. But <laughs> Yeah, the bane in my. Can you put that on YouTube? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Facebook hates me. That's for sure. They keep banning me left and right. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but (laughs) speaking truth to power. That's probably close. That's the truth. Speaking truth to power. They don't like that. But anyway, so so my point is that it's really difficult right now in these times. Yes. We're actually, I think, we're this pandemic is actually breaking a bit of that tribalism. Mm. And I kind of think it might be a good thing, you know?
1: I'm super optimistic in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have worked and worked and worked to practice that and strengthen that. That's one of the emotional intelligence competencies. Mm-hmm. Um, Annabelle Jensen, who I mentioned, it's her favorite emotional intelligence competency is exercising optimism. Yeah. I don't want to in any way minimize or negate the deep, deep suffering that's going on right now. And we know from our research that people, particularly younger people, feel very isolated right now. And we know there's a, the U.S. Surgeon General just declared a, an advisory on youth mental health. The kids are not all right. yeah, no. no. and, and the parents are not all right. And the teachers are not all right. And the workers are not all right. And, you know, there's deep pain right now. I don't know that it was caused by the pandemic, but I certainly think it was magnified by the pandemic.
0: I think that, yeah, it's actually, I think this was actually trans, we were transitioning into something like this for some time, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. I think that when social media came on board, we kind of primed ourselves for this false connection You know, and where we weren't actually going out and engaging in those bonding activities. It started happening on social media more. I get to see so-and-so's life from over here in the comfort of my bedroom, you know, sipping a latte. I can just comment and make her feel special. And so we got these false dopamine hits and, and stuff of feeling special and kids, you know, really right now. That's what it's all about with the video games and uh, social media. And it's like this instant gratification. And then it's almost like we've forgotten how to socialize mm-hmm. with each other in and definitely in a compassionate way. That seems to have, you know, people not being in front of another person are bolder mm-hmm. with their words and their insults and kind of hurting feelings and like you said mental health issues big time with kids my my son suffers from anxiety and it's definitely hard to to watch but i understand it i understand it because i even have some anxiety you know they're mirroring our energy in so many ways
1: yeah when my older kid was um struggling with what we thought was anxiety it was really hard for me because You know, this is my work. I don't consider myself an expert. Like, I don't (laughs) know, I'm not there yet, but I know a bit about emotions and I wanted to be able to help them. And as a parent, I think for all of us as parents, when our kids are struggling and suffering, it's really painful. And I just like, I know, I know I can help you, but that's not my role here in this relationship with my teenage kid and confronting and saying, okay we're going to get you some professional help was, I'll be honest, Tina, it felt like in a way giving up was like, okay, well, we can't do it. So we're going to need somebody like in a way I failed. I don't feel like that now. One of the things that I read was helpful to me is that when kids are struggling with anxiety and other mental health issues, it's like there's a hole in the bucket. And no matter how much you pour in, that bucket isn't going to stay full.
0: No, no, no. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm finding that with my son. I, you know, I try, you know, like you said, I'm not an expert either. (laughs) You're farther ahead than me, but you know, I've really dedicated myself to stuck to the study, to neuroscience, to psychology. You know, my son will say, "You're taking another psychology class, mom. <laughs> you're doing this again." You know, because then I, you know, I try to just throw these little nuggets at him, and he's like, "Yeah, whatever, mom." And it's <laughs> you're getting to, into the eye rolling era. <laughs> oh, so much, so much, and then I have to, you know, I also have to engage with like these these anime characters and stuff he's so excited about telling me about them like i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) but but if i don't act engaged you'll you'll think that i don't care but i'm like okay um all right i don't know what that is i'm gonna Um, gonna watch that show (laughs) okay gotta watch it later and then i'll say mom mom you know what i'm talking about no 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 but it's been really hard to accept that I can't mm. be his coach because I'm, I'm a cognitive behavior therapy coach. So I can't be his coach because it doesn't land mm. the same way because I'm his mom and I have such a different role in his life and that kind of, yeah, like you said, it it feels like heartbreaking and giving up, mm. but, he has a therapist and she's great. And he's been seeing her since his dad and I split. And uh, yeah, it's not been easy,
1: but. So this brings me to like one of my favorite topics though, hmm. which is like you're in this space. I, I mean, I can hear the pain of mm-hmm. it for you. Mm-hmm. And at the same time as you think about 20 years from now, you're still going to be his mom. And what do you want that to be?
0: Yeah, exactly. We've already got a plan when he turns 19. We're going to jump out of the plane together. All <laughs> right, on. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I said, that's my bucket list, but we can't do it. I can't do it because I could go splat on the ground and I need to be here <laughs> to take care of you. So let's do it when I'm 19. He goes, yeah. And then we'll both can just splat together if we're (laughs) going to splat.
1: What I love about this is we get so caught up in the moment. Yeah. And I think for a lot of parents, we get caught up in like our vision ends at college or our vision, you know, when they're younger, it ends at high school. It's like, I just, I just want you to make it through high school. And then I just want you to get into college. And and yet, our role as parents—maybe we really see the impact when they're forty. Yeah, yeah. You when know, I'm just speaking for myself, like you, we were talking earlier about our own parents. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, when I really needed that parenting that I didn't have mm-hmm. was when I was 35. You know, and that's that's when I started working on my parenting book because I'm like, I don't know how to do this, and all the role models I. I can think of are not the kind of parent I I needed and are not the kind of parent I want to be.
0: You said said it perfectly. You said it perfectly because honestly, I just sadly broke up with my mom. Mm. And that was a very difficult thing to do on my birthday. Um, You know, I just have been going through this journey of really understanding myself so deeply. And there's a lot of toxicity mm. in, in my community due to trauma. Mm. And over the years, I tried to talk about those things and try to get to a place, get her to understand Her communication style was not going to be accepted. I had these strong boundaries and stuff. And, you know, I'm going through a pretty rough time right now with beginnings of not an easy divorce. So when I needed, like you just said, the nurturing that I didn't get as a child, Mm. I got more of the thing that was very painful to me. And I realized, ah, this is where it all came from. Mm. You know what I mean, and I'm not blaming because it's kind of like one of those things. It's all of this stuff given to you through your life is to mold you into the person you're going to become, and and bring that self awareness. You know, one of the things I talk about is that self awareness piece and in emotional intelligence. You got to understand your triggers. You got to understand what's in your body. You gotta, I just had was having this conversation, and I noticed how. Everything was clenching up in me. Mm. And my jaw was clenching. I was like, oh, this is the element. This is when I'm in pain. Mm. And I, I go to mom, it's not there. And I, I get ready to feel that punch in the stomach. Mm. And I need to end that. And, you know, I've had very, very interesting conversations with a lot of, especially people of color who have had to do the same thing with their own toxic families to move on yeah. to a healing space, you know? Yeah.
1: And when I say, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry about the now. Mm-hmm. Like, it sounds like this is you being healthy. I'm just thinking about that little girl Yeah, who didn't get the nourishing.
0: And that's why I talk about inner child healing on this podcast, because... It's such an important piece of the healing process to, to go back and talk to the little person that's in you, you know. I always say we're all just children walking around in adult suits, pretending we have it all figured out, while we spread our traumas in everyone we meet, especially our children.
1: Hmm. <laughs> so Annabelle, who I keep talking about, says, uh, it's important for us to see the adult in the child Mm. and the child and the adult. Mm -hmm. She also says something similar to what you just said about what we're spreading. She says, we leave traces. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Every interaction, we leave traces and what are the traces we want to leave? And that, you know, I think it's with our children more than anybody else. It's like, that's our thread to the the, the past and the future. But in every interaction, like what? How do I want to leave? I'm contributing something to the people I interact with.
0: You know, I tell people to get really reflective with their children. Mm -hmm. Because it may not, you may just have an automatic response because of your programming. But every night when I go to bed, I'm kind of retracing my conversations that I had with him. Because I'm aware of my weakness in my upbringing. And so I have to, did that? Land the way that I wanted it to? Mm. Did he look? What was his facial? Did I miss a facial expression? Mm. I think I missed a facial expression. And I will immediately go to him and I will say, I think you were trying to get something from me that you didn't get. And I'm sorry. I think that I was caught up in my own self. If I hurt your feelings, let me know. And I'm sorry. And I think that's that's something that all parents need to learn how to do is say sorry to their children. Absolutely. Because it does and vice versa. <laughs> yes, yes. And he says sorry to me now, very quickly, yeah. very readily, because I started being the the example of seeing my imperfection. Mm. But making amends for it. And saying, I get it. And when he when he loses his, he has his little big hijacks all the time. And he'll turn around later. Later. Not at that moment. Later. He'll come back and say, Mom, I'm sorry I said that. Mm. I never got that. <laughs> you
1: know, something that I started practicing with my kids when my older kid was about four. We were having a lot of blow-ups or come aparts, <laughs> yes. and um, at first I'd be like, okay, Em, we need to talk about this, and, and they wouldn't uh, want to talk about it, and it bothered me, and later I came to realize that's part of their anxiety, and they needed time to process. So When they were about four, we started this process of, okay, when you're ready to talk about this, let me know, and then what we would talk about is, what happened? And then what happened next? Well, what happened before that? And we just we would have a conversation of trying to kind of like assemble the the timeline of choices, the the kind of dominoes that had fallen. Including, you know, well, I think I, you know, similar to what you said, I think I didn't really listen when you said this. And then M would say, Well, I didn't listen when you said that. Mm-hmm. So kind of going into that idea that we're each making choices and i think this is the really the gem here is that when kids starting at age four can realize oh i'm making choices and my choices matter my choices have an impact on what happens next right
0: accountability both
1: of us yeah and then for both of us to be able to say okay so next time what's something we might try and and when M was four we had on the wall pieces of paper where we would write down okay, we're going to try, next time, try this, next time, try this, and, Mm. you know, slowing down and listening and asking and laughing and ended up on the wall, but it was for both of us.
0: Yeah, I find it's more for me than it is for him half the time, to tell you the truth. I just, you know, I I, I recognize, I always say, I'm not perfect. I'm not trying, I'm not going to be perfect, sweetheart, but, you know, I'm really, really I really care and love and cherish who you are. And I'd like to create the foundation that you can always come to me and you can always talk to me. And, you know, I'm very grateful because I feel that's the case right now. And I started that really young with him. So he's turning 11 at the end of the month. And, um, you know, he's he can be a little narc, cause they all are <laughs> at this age. But at the end of the day, I see it when he looks at me. He's like mm-hmm. analyzing, is mom okay? Is mm-hmm. mom okay? And so I know that he's learning some compassion. You know,
1: he's learning some compassion. So something else I, I, I suspect that he's learning. Mm-hmm is that you're each on your journeys Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the fact that you have chosen to show him that you're a learner, you know, and that you're, that, that learning isn't easy. It's actually painful. I hope so. Yeah. Right. That's, that's part of what's so magnificent about us in the good, in the good, good times is (laughs) that we can learn and grow and what a gift for your son yeah yeah you know
0: i i always say that you know i i'm on the metaphysical tip too i said these emotions are attached to so much more than we actually understand right now in our limited capacity as human beings i do feel like our ancestry is in our dna and connected and i do believe that we're multidimensional beings and we're we're connected to one time at another time depending on where we're at in our mm-hmm. emotional state you know that's why meditation is such a profound thing and i don't know if you've seen studies where they hook the eeg to the brains buddhist monks see what parts of their brains light up when they're deep meditating but med- med- it's Fascinating. Yeah. The capacity that we have. And um, I'm biased. I've been Buddhist for 25 years now. So
1: (laughs) it is almost like a form of time travel.
0: Yeah. That's that's how I feel. We
1: we can connect across time and space by our reflections. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about my my dad who passed uh, 12 years ago, you know, and I can connect with that wisdom and that bull (laughs) like pros and cons. I can connect with that. And and then I can step back and say, okay, what do I want to hold on to?
0: Yeah. What was your childhood like little Joshua?
1: (laughs) I grew up hearing a message and I don't know that this is what they said, but it's what I heard. Mm -hmm. of you're not living up to your potential. Mm. That was the story I internalized. And super rational, both my mother and biological father were statisticians. So super rational and a really loving, wonderful relationship with my stepfather, who was a great father to me, but a terrible husband to my mother. So it was a little complicated, but... Berkeley, California in the 1970s. Hey, peace and love. uh, There was a lot of peace and love and there was (laughs) flowers and uh, weird stuff. And I just thought that was all normal. But I was, you know, we had food on the table. A lot of times, no parents around. A lot of independence (laughs) for good and for ill. And a lot of self-reliance. And it wasn't that nobody cared about my feelings, but it just wasn't a topic of conversation, right? It was Especially so-
0: for somebody, So people were so logical and so, you know, uh, what is that left brain, you know, like.
1: I think my, my biological father was really afraid, deeply afraid of emotions. I think his mother, I think was emotionally abusive. And uh, so he became very afraid of emotions. And as I think that contributed to me being afraid of emotions. And I think that's a big part of what led me to this work.
0: Yeah. See, it's amazing what beautiful things can come out of very difficult things. And that's part of the reason why I always have my guests kind of share their stories, because that evolution really inspires people Mm. that they're, you know, where they are now is doesn't have to be where they are, especially the younger people listening to this podcast. And parents listening to this podcast, you know, young parents, my demographic is late twenties to fifties, you know, and ah, it's such trying times right now.
1: Mm. So something that I grapple with is in, in when I'm teaching courses on emotional intelligence, we do a lot of certification courses for practitioners, coaches, and facilitators and Uh, We often get pretty deep into our own emotions and our stories. And something that I hear over and over and over is the most important relationship in my life is my kids. And the most difficult relationship in my life is my parents. And that, that was just playing in my mind as we've been talking today about how this paradox of like, how can it be that, you know, thousands of people are like, I care so much about who I am as a parent and I find it so difficult to grapple with who I am as a, a son or daughter.
0: Mm. Mm. They haven't they haven't gotten in touch with their inner child. They there's a feeling of deficit, you know, that I can relate with. Like I think we all say I'm going to do better. And I think incrementally, I think historically we have done better. But the scars are still there, you know, and um, I think that
1: something I grappled with is that I I realized that I was really judging my biological father. This is a bit of a long story, but the short version is when he was coming towards death, I was wanting to tell him that I loved him and I was afraid to. And I realized that I was judging him and I had judged him for as long as I could remember. And when I was able to, st- I don't know that forgive is quite the right word, but when I was able to step into what we call sometimes making people good, just saying like, he did the best he could with what he had. exactly. And that wasn't great by the way, but it was the best he could. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't have done better. If I had had his skills and his experience. And when I could really, when that became really true for me, I felt a tremendous shift in the way I saw him, the way I saw myself, and the way I saw my kids. Mm
0: -hmm. I had a stepdad too. We got a lot in common here. Um, (laughs) I had a stepdad who unfortunately died just before my son was born. And um, he was the only dad I knew. He was loved by so many. He had like 300 people showed up to his funeral. That's how loved in the community he was. But I knew the other side, you know? And still, still, I thought he was funny. I knew that he loved me with what he had, Mm. with the fractured ego Mm. and insecurities he had as a man. I know he did his best. You know, that's why, even though there was drug addiction, there was there was some bad stuff going on there. I have good memories of him still. Mm. And like you said, I just stopped judging him. I don't have an agitated or stiff feeling in my body when I think of mm. him,
1: you know what I mean? It's, Cause, it's like a liberation.
0: Yeah, because I know right now, if I had, if he was still alive, I called him and said, hey, I need you, blah, blah, blah. He'd be here. Hmm. That was his. He wasn't going to ever let any of his kids struggle alone. And that's what I respect about him as a the dad that I had, you know.
1: So when, you know, when you're traveling and you fill in the customs form and it says, like, <laughs> who to contact in emergency. Mm-hmm. So I would put my biological father, we, we would see each other a few times a year, but I would put him because I knew if I really needed help, I, I knew he would help. And I didn't really think about that until he died. And I was traveling and I was like filling in that form. I'm like, oh, wow.
0: Who do I put there?
1: Who do I put there?
0: Yeah. I have the same feeling right now. Who do who do I put there?
1: You know, it's
0: it's it's those small moments that you're not really cognitively aware of until, boom, you're in that situation, and you go, oh wow. But it's it's it's. I've had so many conversations with so many people, and so many of us are in the same place. Mm -hmm. And I just I would like to go back. Go back, go back, go back and unearth where that really came from. Because I think that's the only way we're going to evolve to really get out of the cycle that we've been in for thousands of years. You know, you know, is it hardwired to be this way or do we have some type of prefrontal choice? Mm.
1: You earlier talked about kind of being in a season of change. And Mm -hmm. I think we do have this, we're wired based on a very, very old version of survival. Mm -hmm. And for myself, like, I don't want, I want to be a different kind of person than that might is right kind of person. And I want my kids to be a different kind of people. And I think in many ways I've I've gotten better and I see my kids doing this way better than I do. And so it gives me actually a lot of hope that, yes, this wiring is there. We are wired to be in some ways selfish and tribal. We are wired to be volatile and explosive and protect and run away and And we can change our wiring. But I
0: really think it's time. It's time. I, I don't think we're going to survive much longer as a, as a species. If we don't, you know, my son said to me something and it was pretty profound. He goes, school doesn't matter. We're all going to die in five years anyway. Mm. And I said, you really feel that way? He goes, yeah. And, um, I just, I just recently did a podcast episode where I said, the old ways don't work, but did they ever, you know? And I think that the people who are in charge of this world create that scarcity that is not really there. It's not really there. It's a way to keep power and control and us very profoundly asleep. Mm. We need to awaken to our own power, our own inner ability to make choices, to say, I'm not going to think that way anymore, and I'm not going to contribute. But the systems are so rigidly put in place that even when you are woke or awake, you're kind of, you're like swimming upstream.
1: Mm. There's a tremendous amount of pressure for us to be in that sense of scarcity, mm-hmm. in a sense of, of, of othering, of fear, of reactivity. There's, that's political, that's economic. There, there's a lot of, of energy that's being spent and money that's being spent mm-hmm. to make us say, you're not enough, you need to buy, you need to see the other people as the other. And I, I do think it's important to acknowledge that those forces are strong and they're real. And we still have choice.
0: And we start. still, we still have choice. And I, and I, tell people all the time that you, it's scary to be different. And and for me, having left my the comfort of the United States and that the conveniences, all that's all those things that America makes seem great, you know. I've had profound growth in understanding that I don't need to adhere to that in order to feel happy or successful or or, or anything. I, but I am acutely aware that no matter where I go, my race makes me other. Mm. And, and it's so interesting being in even Africa, in Africa. Even, even in Africa, Africa. Even in Africa, because those forces have such a strong foothold in what is acceptable. I mean, Africa is Africa, but it's still colonized.
1: Oh.
0: It's still extremely impoverished, even though it's extremely wealthy. Mm. Africa is not in charge of their own well being in so many ways. Mm. And so it's kind of just like that dynamic is so heartbreaking for me to have to explain to my child, too. You know, he's actually terrified to go back to the United States. Mm. You know, he went his Dutch school when he was married in Holland, unwisely, without the permissions of the parents, showed the George Floyd video to oh. a classroom full of nine year olds. Oh. And I didn't, I didn't watch it. I have not watched it. I refuse to watch it. It's, it's just too heart-wrenching for me to see that. And, and and he was, mom, why are they doing that to us? It's such a hard thing to explain to him. It's like, you know what? There are a bunch of crazy people that went out to the work and they made us the enemy. And they did. they were very good at that. But, yeah, he's afraid. And, and, and I can't say that it's irrational. It's
1: there's not a,
0: irrational.
1: There's a, another piece of this, which is about the, the climate. Mm. And, um, there's a growing recognition of, of climate anxiety. Mm-hmm. And there's a piece about intersectional environmentalism of also recognizing that what's happening in the climate and human rights are deeply intertwined in that, kind of looking from that intersectional lens, being a young person, a young multiracial person, a young person living on an island, like there's a lot of places of genuine threat to his future.
0: Yeah, and I, where we are is not one of them, you know? It's the most diversity he's seen in a long time. People that look like more look like him. And, um, you know, there's some aspects of it that is, it's beautiful, but it's still very clear that people who look like me are still on the bottom of the ring, you know? they still on the bottom. And uh, it makes opportunities more difficult. Everything, everything. and It doesn't matter how much education you have and, and all that stuff. You know, it's just, it's so deeply embedded. And I'm doing everything in my power to shift as many hearts as possible so that my son can grow up and see some type of tangible change or be that tangible change because I think that's our responsibility as parents to give them opportunities to shift shift that. You know, he he hears some misogynistic stuff at school some days and I'll go, "Mm, that's not a nice way to speak about women Mm -hmm. (laughs) or to even think about women. And uh, he's gone out and said to his friends, you know, so-and-so said girls couldn't play soccer. I said, my mom can play soccer. She's good at soccer. Women can play soccer, so I I have him rallying for the <laughs> the <So> ladies.
1: <laughs> maybe just to come full circle about emotions and mm. intersectionality we talked about earlier. Yeah, the fact that we can have this conversation mm. is an act of liberation, mm. right? And. The fact that your son can express his feelings and that you have made space for him, that is a liberatory process. So I think the big systems are gonna be very slow and very hard to change, but the inner systems, we, especially with our own children and our own families and in our own selves, it's revolutionary. truly, it's revolutionary that you wanna hear how your son feels. You know, and that, I think that's an incredible opportunity that we have right today.
0: Yeah. And I I encourage every parent listening to this podcast right now, don't be afraid to let your kids have space Mm. to talk about how they feel. Don't be afraid of it for yourself. So, so many times we're just trying to put a band-aid on our children or create a perfect this or perfect that it's never going to be perfect but we can create spaces where they can process those emotions because they're there they're there well i'm sure you have to get onto another call or another another something unfortunately i do i've
1: yeah it's been such
0: a Pleasure. I try to keep time, but um I was enjoying (laughs) the conversation. I could probably talk to you for another hour. Um (laughs) well well, let's do that another time. For sure, for sure. I would love to pick your brain and yeah, it was lovely. Thank you so much for taking time.
1: And thank you, everyone who's listening. I hope that you find a little more space to breathe and feel those feel those feelings and invite your kids. Yes. To share
0: theirs. And everybody, please go to sixseconds.com, check out what they have to offer. So many amazing programs and resources around emotional intelligence. I can't tell you what a wonderful resource that it has been for me to learn more deeply about what emotional intelligence is. So, thank you so
1: much. Thank you.
0: It was such a pleasure to have Joshua Friedman on EQ above IQ. Uh, it was, it was like having one of my heroes on the show. I've been following six seconds for so long. Um, like I said in the interview, <laughs> I had a, a pamphlet in my hand 15 years ago when I started this EQ journey, even before my son. And so it was such a pleasure to have him on. If you want to go check out Six Seconds, of course, at sixseconds.com. And you can also find Joshua on LinkedIn and also on Facebook, all with the call sign Six Seconds, and also on Instagram. It was just nice to get to know somebody and their story and why they get to where they are. And I hope it inspires you to know that you're not alone in your struggles with either parenting or in a child trauma there's everybody has a story and the world has a story that we hopefully can change moving forward for ourselves for our children especially and please don't forget to go check out thisreallifebooks.com children's books that teach emotional intelligence and I'm also a cognitive behavioral therapy coach and I specialize in EQ I got to talk to him about those EQ certification classes maybe that's something extra I can add to my arsenal but it is something that I'm passionate about I am well educated about and it's because I know the value of healing will heal everyone else and like we said in the interview the powers that push against change cannot push against us all. All it takes is one individual for the domino effect to begin. So if you choose to shift inside today and it's never too late, go to thisreallifebooks.com. Check out my other podcast episodes and I hope you have a blessed day.